Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, September 15th. Now, I know what all of you must be feeling. We're tired. We're worn down. After three straight weeks of exceptional action in New York, we need a little bit of a break. We would appreciate a lull in the schedule as we usually have after these Grand Slams. Give ourselves some time to process the results we just saw. Give ourselves some time to absorb them, to accept them, and then move on, of course, with our tennis fandom. Now, we always knew 2020 was going to be a chaotic year. If we were ever going to get any professional tennis back, there was going to be a lot of it happening in a very short period of time, and that's exactly what's going on right now in the tennis world. Tennis resting for no fan. Uh, The action continues now as we make probably the quickest pivot in tennis history from the hard courts to the clay, the Masters 1000 Premier Mandatory events in Rome. Kicking off this week, we get to see players such such as Rafael Nadal, Simona Halep, you know, Belinda Bencic, Kiki Burtons, all of those players who we didn't get the chance to see in New York, Stan Wawrinka, Gael Monfils, Fabio Fognini, they're back in action. They're competing this week in Rome as they try to prepare for the year's third Grand Slam in Paris. And of course, next week, we here at Crack Rackets will start rolling out our Roland Garros preview content, get all of you ready for the action that's going to happen in Paris. Crazy to say, it starts less than 14 days. I think we're 12 days away now uh, from the kickoff of that third Grand Slam. And so a lot for us to learn, a lot for us, a lot of information for us to gather over the course of these next two weeks. Of course, we got to see a brief period of clay action on the in the women's game at the start of August. So we know Simona Halep looks good on clay. We know people like Elise Mertens was playing so well. We know, you know, someone like a, Pet, uh, uh, a Herzog has been playing so well. We know someone like a Petra Martin has been playing so well. Annette Conteve, you know, that translates across surfaces, but we're going to get to learn a lot about what these men look like. We're going to get to see who are the contenders, who are the dark horses, who are the players we thought maybe early in the year would make a jump once we got to the clay court season. Are they still going to be able to do that given that they saw a five and a half month layoff stall their momentum they built early in the year? These are all questions we'll be kicking around here at Crack Rackets. It's this, it's this, week, this week's week on the mini break. Now, it's just me steering the ship today. I want to go through what I saw in the action in Rome uh, on the men's and women's side. Of course, I want to talk a little bit about some of the other things going on in the tennis world. But the reason I'm able to talk about anything here on the Mini Break Podcast day in, day out is because of the support we get from our sponsors who help us here at Cracked Rackets look good, feel good, and play good. And for me, that means I'm dressed in my Midwest sports shirt, which so many of you can see when you go check out our videos on YouTube. Always want to rep the 
Midwest Sports Squad. And look, for any of your equipment needs, whether it be the latest shoes, shirts, any sort of clothing, more importantly, rackets, strings, grommets, grips, you name it, they've got it at Midwest Sports. Their staff can help you find exactly what you're looking for, exactly what you need to accentuate the finer features of your game. So go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 while you're there. You'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, and of course, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Use our promo code. You'll also let them know that we sent you there. So MidwestSports.com, that promo code is CR15. Again, you're now you're going to look good. How are you going to feel good on court? By making sure your nutrition, your fitness is where you want it to be. That's where our friends at Aerobar come in, the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business, more potassium than a banana, delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. And do you hear that? Do you hear that crumbling in the background there? That's not bad producing. That is me crumbling up my Aerobar wrapper. I had it for breakfast this morning. I'm not even playing any tennis today. I just think it's a delicious way to start the day. It gives me the energy boost I need. I know when I do go for my run later, the calories I'm going to be burning are going to be fueled by Aerobar. You can be fueled by Aerobar as well by going to their website, aerobar.com. Use that promo code CRACKED15. You'll get 15% off your order. Let them know that we sent you there. Midwest Sports, Aerobar, Cracked Rackets. Look good, feel good, play good. All right, with that, let's talk about some people who looked good. Well, I don't know if they looked good. I don't even know if they felt good. And I definitely don't think they played good. But we got some funky action in Rome. So with that in mind, let's get into our results. And of course, ladies first here on the podcast. Let's start with the women's results we saw. We had two seeds knocked off on the day. Let's start with I'm going to say the less surprising of the upsets, Alonia Balsova, who some of you, if you are a college tennis diehard like myself, may remember from her time at Oklahoma State. That team, I believe, made the NCAA quarterfinals. Now, of course, from there, she transferred to FAU, where she went undefeated in singles play, 19-0 in 2018. The 22-year-old from Moldova, then Spain. Uh, fantastic win for her. Our, I believe, actually, the first top 20 win of her career as she knocked off Allie Risk, the 13th seed, 5-7-7-6-6-3. Look, this was a great match from Bolsova, who just asked every question of Risk. Risk, obviously, clay, the surface she's least comfortable on, and Allie Risk, someone who wants to take balls early, who wants to move forward, take time away from you. That's a little bit harder to do on clay. And by the way, you know, I know these players are adjusting to clay. As fans, we have to adjust to it as well. It's a completely new, you know, style of tennis. Of course, the emphasis being played Placed on changing direction, the emphasis being placed on body momentum. You just can't hit people off the court. You want to open up angles for yourself, you know, uh, keeping your footing that much more important because it's that much more difficult to do sliding into balls as opposed to sliding out of them and reacting late. You give even an extra half second of time to your opponent on clay. It becomes that much more difficult uh, to hit that next ball and you know, again, if for players who are playing flatter, that ball stays a little bit low. If you can hit heavy spin, you can get through the court a little bit more. Anyways, all of these are adjustments I have to make as a fan. I think all of us have to get accustomed to watching, but you know, that's it. same with Ali Risk. She needs to make that adjustment as well because Bolsova just she kept making that extra ball, kept dipping in that pass low at Risk's feet or throwing in a slice that normally on hard court because you have your footing, Ali Risk is knocking that ball off early at the net, but because it's clay, because it's a little bit more difficult to change direction, it's you know, you lose half a second going from the baseline to uh to the net when you're trying to close, it's just because it's that much more difficult. 
difficult, and Bolsova took advantage of that extra half second, again, firing passing shots low at the feet of Risk. Risk definitely got tentative towards the end of this match, and, you know, for Bolsova, she's played a a high percentage match, made 60% of her first serves, won 60% of those points, 50% of her second serve points, saved five of the 11 break points she faced, but converted six of the 14 she created for herself. It's a really good win for Bolsova now, and again, Bolsova, another player who comes through the college ranks, needs a little bit of time to mature her game, but now you look for Alonia. I mean, look, she is sitting pretty right now in these rankings. She's back inside the top 100 for the second time in her career. Uh, She's at number 97 now, which is nine off of her career high of 88, but she's positioned herself really well to get into the French Open, which is just so critical because it allows you the opportunity to gain, obviously, the single largest quantity of points in one match. Also, you get that large, you know, paycheck just for playing the event, and that's such a big launching point for a player's career, and again, you look for Balsova, who's had success. You know, she played some pros before going to college. She's played, obviously, made a final at the end of 2019 on clay at the 60K level in doubles and singles, made a final at the beginning of this year. She lost to Katsuk on the clay uh, in February at the 60K, so she had a good year coming uh, into the start of the season but she's really making her jump now. This was a great win. She took advantage of, of, again, a player who isn't the most comfortable on the surface. So huge credit to Alonia uh, Balsova. And again, we are always going to take the chance to promote some college tennis on this podcast. Go Balsova. Go college tennis. It's a pathway to the pros, folks. We learned today, uh, I'm recording this at 1245 on Tuesday, so noon Eastern time, a little afternoon Eastern time, a little before 1 p.m., I suppose. Anyways, uh, and today, athletic directors, or I think the Wisconsin chancellor is uh, is testifying in front of the Senate, and the Wisconsin chancellor today said the purpose of college athletics isn't primarily to make money, and it's like, oh, Really? Because I've got some college tennis programs who were told otherwise, who were told it's financially not feasible for their programs to continue to exist. And if the purpose isn't to make money, why do we keep sending all of those profits we make from football to keep sprucing up the stadium, to keep increasing the coaches' uh, salaries, to keep, you know, uh, again, I'm not going to get into it. The point being, um, yeah, go college tennis. Support players so that the Alonia Balsovas of the world can go on their unique developmental path and ultimately end up in the top 100 and pursuing not just a profession, but the, their dreams uh, to the highest possible level and, and put themselves in a position to, for success. Anyways, go Bolsova. Great win for her over Ali Risk, uh, who, uh, again, looked good. Certainly had chances to win this set, got in that second set breaker, in that second set in general. You could just tell that once it got to a third, Bolsova physically able to extend the match. Three hours on court is tough for anyone, but that's a really good win for Bolsova. She was one uh, one player who knocked off the seed. The other one, and this isn't so much an upset as it was a really good match, Amanda Anissa knocking off Donna Vekic 7-6-7-6 in this match. Vekic, uh, I be- or I, be- I believe Anisimova before going into the tiebreaker. I, I think Vekic was up 5-2 maybe uh, in the breaker. I know she was up big. She had blisters on, uh, Anisimova had a blister on her hand. She took a medical timeout in the midst of that breaker that obviously uh, screwed with Vekic's rhythm. Anisimova able to flip the script from there, take it in two tiebreakers, 7-6-7-6. 
six. I mean, in this match, the thing Anita Samova did so well, 70% of her first serves go in. It allowed her to take control of points, play plus one tennis. Now, a ton of break chances in this match for both sides in it. Anisimova saves nine of the 14 break points she faces. Vekic uh, saves seven of the 12 she faces. But, you know, in a match that featured what? Uh, 12 service games each. They were both broken a little less than half the time. Five of those 12 games were breaks. There were a lot of breaks in this match. The point being in those breakers, it was Anisimova who was able to play the plus one tennis, who was able to take control of points a little bit easier than Donna Vekic. And for those of you who have forgotten, Amanda Anisimova, I believe a French Open semifinalist already in her young career. I mean, Clay is a surface she clearly can excel at simply because of how decisive she is with her ground strokes, her ability to change directions, her ability to play big both cross court and down the line it's just it's hard again to keep your momentum on a hard court and she takes that away from you she keeps you moving side to side she puts that second of doubt in your head am I going left am I going right here and when you lose that second of doubt when you're not playing on instinct when you can't read uh, where your opponent's going to go that makes things very difficult and look Donna Vekic again 48.9% on her first serve it was a sloppy day uh, for her she did not play her best tennis she certainly had plenty of chances to win this match, but that's another really good win for Anissa Mova now, who finds herself rounding into form, who finds herself playing significantly better than she was uh, at the end of last year, you know, midway through last year, and obviously so much has happened to her off the court, uh, but we're really exciting to, obviously, we're all so excited to see what she can do on the court for Anissa Mova now. She's at number 28 in the world with a win tomorrow. She will be back at uh, number, I believe, 27, but, you know, she's working her way back towards the top 20 getting back inside that range. And at 19, again, so young. She's got so much time, but it's really promising to see here. It's the routine wins, the first round wins. That's the next step to becoming, you know, a seated at an event like this. And for Anisimova, that's a really good win. So credit to her. One other match I just want to quickly mention that happened for the Rome women because it was so funky. Whenever these two seem to play, it gets just so, so weird. And it makes sense because they're both, you know, volatile games. They both are big hitters. They're both going to smack the cover off the ball, but then they're going to throw in 12 double faults. Of course, I'm talking about Diana Yastremska, who when she last faced Georgie, had a bunch of match points before losing the second set in the breaker and going away in the third. In this instance, it's Yastremska able to lose a a second set breaker, but bounce back 7-5-6-7-6-4 in the third. Just a quick note on this match. 28 double faults between the two players. You look at them through sets one, uh, they had 26 double faults through the first two sets, excuse me. So only two double faults in sets three, That in set three, that's nice, but 26 double faults through the first two sets. Literally, any time a player took a break advantage in this match, and, you know, in this match, Camila Georgie faced 19 break points, Yastrzemska faced eight, but, you know, any time a player secured a break in this match, they'd throw in two double faults the next game and just hand that break right back. It was volatile. It was funky. It's everything you expect from players who haven't played much clay tennis, who are shuffling in between continents, who aren't in rhythm. Uh, It's what you love as a tennis fan. So those were the most notable results in Rome. Now, of course, there were a couple of other great matches. We can go through them quickly. Uh, Kovinic knocking off Gerges 1-0. Did not see that coming. Something I did see coming, Elise Mertens. She advances in straight sets over Sue C. We saw, I believe, Elena Rybakina, excuse me, 0-4 over Alexandrova. Those were the other seeds in action on the day. In terms of just the other results, 
results. We saw Blinkova knocks off Teichman, Lynette knocks off Ostapenko, Paulini over Sevastova, Buzkova over Tamjanovic, Stritskova over Kudermatova, and then Pavelchenkova in three sets over Zhang. Uh, those were your women's results on the day. Let's quickly go through the men's side because, again, there were some really fun results there as well. Uh, you look at it, you know, some of the notable results. Let's look at the three setters first. Hubi Hercats, much needed win for him after he struggled last week in Kitzbühel after he lost early at the U.S. Open. You talk for Hercats, you know, uh, since the restart, and he looked really good during the Exos, but he lost straight sets to Isner first round Western Southern. He loses second round to Davidovich Fokina in a four-set match he really should have won. In Kitzbühel, he beats Sosa. He loses to Martyrer in the second round. Here, a much-needed win over Dan Evans, 6-3, And I think for Hoopy, why he just, I think he's going to excel so much during this clay court season, why I think clay is going to be a surface he has a lot of success on in his career. Just his length, his movement, how decisive he is, his ability to change direction. I just mentioned how important that is on a clay. He did all of that against Dan Evans, who, of course, is going to move you around the court. He's going to throw slice. He's going to throw short angles. He's going to move forward. He's going to serve in volley. He's going to throw kick serves. All of these different looks at you. Hubie's game, his frame, just allows him to handle all of that. And his length, he's able to take balls early and, again, change direction, go down the line, beat you to the spot. He's also really decisive moving forward and can serve and volley in this match. Hercots, 37 errors, uh, 37 winners against 37 unforced, uh, 35 unforced errors. Let's try that again. 37 winners against 35 unforced errors, 17 of 23 at the net for Hercots. He just played a very decisive match. And at multiple times in that third set, he went down break. He didn't get down on himself. He played the big targets on his return. He was very disciplined about attacking the Dan Evans backhand, while at the same time, when Dan Evans would leave him a short ball in the backhand wing, he'd take it down the line. He'd follow it in. He'd say, Dan Evans, beat me with a forehand passing shot. Get by my length, and Hercots is able to hit a good first volley. You know, he's a guy, as I mentioned, comfortable serving and volleying, and so really good win for Dan uh, for Hoopy Hercots here. For Dan Evans, who clay is not the most comfortable surface, clearly for him. I thought he looked great. I think depending on where he lands in the draw, he is absolutely dangerous come French Open time because he's just such a relentless competitor. I mean, for Dan Evans, who obviously dealt with a suspension early in his career uh, due to something that felt very controllable, right? Cocaine usage, while he's talked about it was, you know, it wasn't an addiction for him. It was something he did at a party and just, you know, that's something that you could have avoided. That's such a correctable mistake, right? And so for him, he's so clearly rebounded from that. He's learned from it. He's refocused. It's so clear how much he values being on court and competing. And in this match, just a little bit too much Hercats. He forced Evans to be a little bit more aggressive in this match. Evans, 26 winners against 39 unforced errors. But Really good competitive effort from Evans. This tells me more about Hubi Hercots, who again just I like his game. Everything comes really easy to him. The forehand's a little bit wristy, and he definitely shanks it a little bit uh, too much. The backhand he can guide a little bit too much. It can hang a little bit short on him. Both of those ground strokes, but sometimes then he'll pop a forehand easily or pop a backhand. He's just comfortable, again, doing a little bit of everything. The definition of a modern player, he's been a Cracked Rackets favorite for a while. That's not going to shock any of you to hear me speak fondly of him, but for Hubi Hercots right now, 31 in the world, uh, his career high is 28. I mean, he's 23 years old. This is another guy who's going to be in the mix for a while, folks. I'm not saying Grand Slam champion upside because I don't see that from him yet. Uh, there, he can do a lot of things well. He can't do anything exceptionally well yet, and you need to be able to do things exceptionally well to win a slam. 
But I like his game a lot. I mean, you're talking top 20 player for the next 10 years. I'd believe that. Uh, 10's a long time. The next five years, I could believe that. I mean, he's going to be in the mix, folks. So uh, just someone to be on the lookout for. Someone who we've talked about for a while. It would be nice to see him uh, put together a third round, fourth round. Really, fourth round at a major would be something I would love to see from him. Uh, But that was a really good win on day one. You talk about two other players who you will have circled as next-geners who we think here at Cracked Rackets can make runs if the draw opens up for them uh, at the French Open. Let's start with Casper Ruud, who is one of the, I believe, 12 players in the early portion of the year to win a title on the ATP Tour, his title coming on clay as well. Casper Ruud, a guy who's always been so exceptional on the dirt. And, you know, here he uh, he made a final there last year. That was really his breakthrough event. But here he gets a really good win over Karen Hatchinov. And if Casper Ruud's going to do the sorts of things I think he's capable of doing at the French Open, again, making another second week. We know at the U.S. Open, Casper was able to make the third round, uh, lose to Berrettini, but hold seed there. I think he can go even further than that at Roland Garros. I think he can upset a top 20 seed. Now, it's going to have to be the right top 20 seed. You know, it, if it's uh, a guy, El Monfils, you probably still favor Monfils in that matchup. But, you know, if he's playing a Bautista Agut, if he's playing, uh, you know, someone like a, a Chapo or a Fodnini or even a Rublev Schwartzman, any of those guys who are his young uh compatriots, his young, excuse me, peers, I think he can absolutely beat them. He is so dangerous on the claim. What he does so well, again, he's just so decisive, and he's got every shot in the tool book. He can go down the line. He can go cross-court. He can go short-angled. He can go drop shot. He can elevate the ball heavy with spin. Obviously, we talked about the stats. Kasper Ruud, uh, one of the heaviest forehands by RPM, which means how much spin are you getting on the ball rotations per minute. Uh, he's one of the heaviest balls on two tour and it jumps off the clay. I mean, you can just tell, and he's another one of those players, I'll keep saying it, who slides into his shots, who's not sliding out of them, but knows exactly how to maneuver on the dirt. You know, obviously you look in his career for Casper Ruud, it's the surface he has the highest win percentage on. He's 132 and 73, 64% win percentage versus 71 and 55 on the hard courts. I mean, you talk about some of the other things Casper Ruud has already done on clay during his career. Uh, obviously for him, it's the slam he had the most success at third round last year. Now, he made the third round this year at the U.S. Open, but still, uh, things have changed since then. You talk about his three challenger, or uh, his challenger titles. They have all, all of his challenger finals, excuse me, have come on clay. He is one in two in those finals, but, you know, a, a third round last year in Rome. So, I just think clay is the surface for him, and you look at, again, where his wins have come over top 10 opponents. They've come on clay. You know, he beat a Karen Hatchinov this year on clay. He beat uh, Ernest Gold. Ernest Gold, this doesn't count. He beat Pablo Carina Busta last year. Uh, That came in Kidspool. I mean, he beat David Ferrer. I think that was also on clay. And so that was a couple of years ago. But it's clearly the surface that's going to bring out the best in his game. It's clearly the surface he excelled at as well as a junior. And so I don't think it should shock anyone to see him. And in this match, he was just, again, so decisive against Hatchinoff. So good at changing direction. So good at 
attacking the Hatchinov backhand, but still going down the line when terms dictated it, when there was that much space. If Hatchinov was trying to cheat over to hit inside out on the forehand, he just, he didn't let Hatchinov get a rhythm, and Hatchinov wants to get a rhythm. He wants to go cross-court, cross-court, cross-court line with his forehand. That's his go-to pattern, right? He's just trying to bludgeon you until he opens up enough space. Well, Kasparu didn't let him do that, and look, this match got really physical, and there's a reason Hatchinov took the second set 6-3, because he, when he performs well, when he's serving, when he's playing big, he can compete with anyone, but this was a really comprehensive performance from Kasparud in the effect that he had to do a couple of different things in this match, and he did them all well. He attacked the Hatchinov second serve with as much uh, authority as possible to take control of those points, and in the match, Hatchinov only a 49% win percentage on second serves. For Kasparud, he created 17 break chances for himself to Hatchinov's three. It just felt like Rude was in every game, and some of that had to do with Hatchinov's 54% first serve percentage, but this was a really good win for Kasparud, who you look in the rankings right now. He is at a new career high of 34, and I think given that the clay, you know, how people add rankings points right now is a little bit messed up because obviously they're trying to protect the players who can't play due to COVID, all of these different things, uh, but there's absolutely some opportunity here for Kasparud to make a move or two uh, in the rankings to work his way up the list into the top 30 to get himself seated at most of the events he plays heading into the 2021 season. And of course, that's so far away, but that was a really good him- win for him. And again, depending on how the draw breaks down, what I like, I need to see him follow this win up. I need to see him do one more. Um, but, you know, if he makes a round of 16, a quarterfinals, even if he makes a semifinals here, that's crazy. But if he can make a round of 16, a quarterfinals here in Rome, now you got to start thinking about him seriously as one of the best 20 players on clay in on tour right now. And just depending on how the draw breaks down, I don't know if they're, you know, of course, there's probably a list of 10 players I'm more confident in, but he's in the mix with everyone else. So that's a really good result for Casper Ruud. Uh, a couple of other ones just to go through quickly. Another guy you would circle, Christian Guerin, who was tied with Djokovic for two, with two titles uh, through the first two months of the season in the lead, both of them coming on the dirt for Guerin. It's the surface he's had the most success on. It's the surface, you know, if he's going to make a run at any major in his career, it's going to be at the French Open. It's going to be on Clay, uh, but he loses his first round match here to Borna Chorich, 6 4 6 4. And, you know, this was a sloppy match, folks. There's no way to deny it. Neither player serving above 60% on the first serve, neither player above 50% on the second serve. Plenty of unforced errors dished out in this match. And yet, really impressive for Borna Chorich, who, you know, uh, much like Garen. Uh, or much like Garen, excuse me, much like Casper Ruud, much like all these players, was able to change direction really well on uh, Christian Garen, was able to target the Garen backhand and not let him cheat over to hit that inside-in forehand. He loves hitting, and, you know, it, it was just a really tactically smart match from George, who, again, targeted in on that ad side but changed direction himself, who was comfortable moving forward to the net and making the match physical, making that extra ball, playing slice when he needed to just to stay alive because clearly Christian Guerin wasn't in rhythm. And more importantly for George to come off the U.S. Open quarterfinals and follow it up would have been easy for him to throw this match away to write it off. Uh, He did not do that. He came out swinging. He came out energized. He's back up to number 26 in the world, justifiably so. That's how well Borna George has been playing of late. I'm really impressed with him. Again, Again, you just have to... I'm going to write this one off for Christian Guerin just because the preparation hasn't been great for anyone, and I've seen enough of him on clay to know this was not his best tennis, but... 
Concerning for Garen, it's going to be interesting to see where the draw opens up for him. Played two five-set matches, right, at the U.S. Open. Beat Blanche in five. Lost his next one in five. But So physically, you're not worried about him. But can he get his confidence up right now from a tennis perspective? He's just not playing his best stuff. So that's going to be interesting to see. Still, really good win for Borna Chorich. You look at some of the other results on the day on the men's side. Because, again, there were some funky ones that absolutely we should talk about. You know, Felix Oshir Aliasim was a seed who went down on the day. Felix uh, losing his match, I believe. Oh, not seeded. That's crazy. But losing his match to Krajinovic, 4-5. and five. Uh, I mean, Krajinovic playing really well. But FA in this match, I think, had something like 11 winners against 55 unforced errors. So that tells you where he was at. Uh, just some of the other winners on the day. Again, Grigor Dimitrov, straight set winner. Uh, Ugo Umber, really impressive straight set win for him over Kevin Anderson. Nishikori grinds out a win over Albert Ramos Vinolas. We also got wins from Italians Yannick Sinner, Lorenzo Sinego, and Stefano Trevaglia, uh, 6-4-7-6 over Taylor Fritz. That was a really good win for Stefano. Now, the other three-set battle we had on the day, Marin Cilic surviving the Sasha Bublik experience, 6-7-6-2-6-4 win for Cilic. We also had some qualifiers finishing up their battles, Tennis Sangrind, uh, Bagnus, Davidovich Fokina, Cecinato, Corey, Kopfer, Pedro Martinez, Lorenzo Musetti. Some of those players already winning their first round matches. We'll get to that tomorrow. But those were the players who advanced on uh, date, or I guess on Monday to Tuesday's action. And that sets up our field for today. Again, a really fun slate of matches across the board. Hopefully, all of you fans will be able to check out all of the action throughout the day. And it's always enjoyable too. You can see a lot of replays uh, filtered everywhere as well. But you look at today's schedule in Rome. It should be, uh, again, a really fun day of matches, and I see some of these results, so I know it has been, but, you know, Muguruza, Sloan, Stevens, that's going to be really fun. Kantave, Garcia, Jabour, Goff, those are really fun matches. Uh, I will obviously be all in on things like Nishioka versus uh, Kesmenovic, but, you know, Kesmenovic coming off of a title, so not going to shock me to see Nishioka win that match. A lot of fun matches, and then, you know, the other part of Rome, so many of these players just trying to get match tough on the clay. Uh, they're playing doubles as well, so of course a full slate of matches there. And to hear our picks for Rome uh, on Tuesday, be sure to go check out our GSP Ace of the Day. We're we're starting to write the ship. I think we're starting to figure out what works, what doesn't work, and so uh, just something for all of you to keep in mind as we move forward. Is we will still be making our picks every morning on the GSP Ace of the Day. So just you know, be of course on the lookout for that. With that in mind, just a couple of other quick things, then we will wrap today's podcast of what's going on in the tennis world. Of course, the French Open, on all of our minds, we learned who the wild cards are going to be for that event. The most notable ones on the men's and women's side. Let's start with the women. Jeannie Bouchard, uh, in my opinion, getting a much-deserved wild card. She's, what, 7-3 and three against top 100 opponents in 2020. She went quarterfinals, I believe, in Prague, and then made the finals last week in Istanbul. She's rounding into top 100 form, and I've gotten to see her play in person. She looks like a top 100 player. She's in exceptional shape right now. I think that's a wild card, well-deserved you know, across the board, other notable French players, uh, Clara Burel, Elsa Giacomo, uh, Chloe Paquet, Parmentier, Perry Parankova, Harmony, uh, Harmony Tan, all very good choices. You look for the men. Uh, Andy Murray, of course, getting a wild card. I don't think that's going to shock anyone. It's also not going to shock people that to see young Frenchmen like Elliot uh, Benchetre or Hugo Gaston, Quentin Halise, Antoine Huang, Maxime Janvier, Harold Mayotte, and of course, former college tennis standout. 
standout. We started with a college tennis standout. Let's end with one. Arthur Rinderneck, uh, the former A&M standout who's been so good at the Challenger circuit this year, got another really good win today over Hustler. Uh, he is the eighth and final wild card recipient. So all names, I think we can agree, deserve it. I mean, look, the French going to do what the French going to do, right? The same way the USDA going to do what the USTA going to do. The same way Tennis Australia going to do what Tennis Australia going to do. These wild cards go to whomever they want. Uh, so not surprising to see a bunch of French players, plus Bouchard and Andy Murray, receiving those. Uh, again, a couple of other pieces of things, and then we can wrap it. It is disappointing to say, and you know, we talked with Ivan Barron, who I believe runs these events, but we learned officially the Junior Orange Bowl canceled for 2020, just not able, fe- uh, it's not feasible for them to put on the event. Uh, they obviously don't want to risk the safety and health of all of these other peoples as of all of these other people as well. But, um, you know, again, uh, disappointing because the Junior Orange Bowl is really the Super Bowl of the junior calendar, but yeah, notable that a lot of these junior players are going to get to play, get the chance to play the junior French Open. They did not get that at the junior U.S. Open, so worth mentioning. Also worth mentioning, speaking of the U.S. Open, Jeff Sackman of Tennis Abstract, you know, and maybe if you're not using Tennis Abstract, but you are missing out on maybe the best resource in all of tennis, just every result, every, you know, they've got shot-by-shot breakdown, every stat you could possibly want, percentages, different things. Uh, you can filter it all out. It's just the best, that's the search engine in tennis is what I was looking for. Uh, He wrote a really excellent piece about why it is not worth putting an asterisk on either uh, Naomi Osaka or Dominic Team's win, I believe. Uh, You know, he focused on, uh, I I shared that thread, uh, uh, his Twitter thread on uh, on my Twitter, I retweeted it. There's the word I was looking for. But uh, for those of you who want to go read that yourself, just go to tennisabstract.com. You can find the blog. U.S. Open asterisk talk is premature. It might be flat out wrong. Again, whenever Jeff writes anything, I'm all on it. Uh, I think you all will enjoy that as well. And then last thing, really fun piece of news. Well, I guess last two things, really fun piece of news. Well, let, let's get the, yeah, let's let's do the fun one first and we'll save that other one for next time. Um, the ITA announcing that they will be holding the Oracle ITA uh, Masters by UTR at the Barnes Tennis Center in San Diego on October 9th to the 11th. It's going to be an event that offers a wild card into the Oracle ITA National Fall Championships, as well as a 20,000 purse evenly split between the men and the women. Again, folks, college tennis, pathway to the pros. And obviously, hopefully our Crack Rackets team will get the chance to cover that event now. San Diego a little bit outside of our zone, but we'll see what we can do because obviously we are down to support the ITA in any way we can. This is going to be a really cool event that's not only going to feature top college players, but top juniors as well, pros in the area too. Anyone who wants to play for a little bit of money so you know that draw is going to be stacked. Uh, The last thing I was going to mention was we got some numbers coming out for the TV ratings for the U.S. Open, but I want to do a little bit more research on what these numbers mean, why we should or should not be concerned about them yet. So we're going to save that for a little bit later. I will also remind you, we've got the last C Challenger going on, a bunch of ITF events as well. So of course, our picks are going to be rocking and rolling every morning on our GSP Aces of the Day. And if you have missed any of our content over this US Open, you need to recap. You want to see our recap videos of the men's and women's side, you can go check those out with Jamie McDonald on YouTube. You can also hear them in podcast form on the Great Shot podcast feed. You want to wait for the full breakdown of these three weeks in New York. Matt Stokowiak joined me to do just 
discuss that. That's going to be a great shot podcast coming out for all of you tomorrow. Of course, we're going to be recapping Rome day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast. We'll get some guests to join me later in the week. And then next week, all eyes here at Cracked Racket shift to the French Open, preparing you all for the year's third Grand Slam. None of us still know exactly what this clay tennis is going to look like, but I know I speak for all of us when I say we are really excited to watch it all unfold. So, of course, again, if you want have missed any of our content, be sure to go to our website, CrackedRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's at Cracked Rackets. You want to DM me directly. I'm at Great Shot Podcast. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews and Inside Out Podcast. Be sure to share them with your friends, of course, because you don't want to let the incredible work of our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff, who have a of an editing job to do as always go to work you want to share it with your friends and again we are so grateful for all of you who have been doing exactly that sharing these podcast episodes with your friends reaching out to us to talk about that it means the world to us for those of you who are supporting us on patreon seriously none of this would be possible without your support we are eternally grateful for that continued support and if you're interested please just go to patreon.com search cracked rackets uh it's really fun we get to do things with our patreon subscribers that we can't you know that We'd like to just save a couple of little special things, I suppose, is what I'll say for them. So if that's something that interests you, be sure to go check that out. Also, go check out our merch store. I mean, I dress sloppily, but I swear to God, Dalton was like, here, I'm going to make cool Cracked Rackets merch, Alex, so you don't look like such a slob when you go everywhere. And seriously, I mean, I feel good, My whether it's my hoodie, whether it's the long sleeve. And it's fall now, right? So it's, it's hoodie season. I mean, we're all wearing hoodies. It's the single most comfortable item of clothing any person can own ever, uh, outside of a good pair, probably sweatpants a good pair of sweatpants not the ones so I don't mind the ones that wrap around the ankle my mom despises them she's like why why do you do that that's so stupid from a fashion perspective she's like it doesn't even look good like you know whatever anyways um a good pair of sweatpants I could wear for probably six weeks straight uh and in fact I'm sure there's a sophomore version of me in college that did wear it for six weeks straight but it's almost that time of year you can get some cracked rackets gear for everyone's favorite season fall uh by going to our website crackedrackets.com as well a huge shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar by the way for all of your needs in the tennis world look good feel good play good go to midwestsports.com use our promo code CR15 go to aerobar.com use our promo code cracked15 with that being said, for our wonderful super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.